People are the most consequential and dangerous forces on Earth. Well, personality psychology is about the nature of human nature. It's about people. And wouldn't that be useful to know? I mean, it seems to me, I can't, I can't think of a more important problem. You're listening to the Science of Personality podcast, brought to you by Hogan Assessments, the global leader in personality assessment and leadership development since 1987. Your hosts are Hogan Chief Science Officer and world-renowned personality psychologist, Dr. Ryan Sherman, along with Hogan PR Manager and resident storyteller, Blake Lett. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Science of Personality podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Sherman, along, as always, with my co-host, Blake Lepp. Say hello, Blake. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Science of Personality podcast, episode seven. Uh, It's been a crazy journey so far. We're almost seven episodes in, and we appreciate all of you who have tuned in to listen to us uh, talk about uh, anything from women on leadership to uh, diversity and inclusion and Today's topic, which is 360 leadership assessments. And with that, we could think of no better guest than our good friend in Australia, Mr. Peter Berry. Peter is the founder and managing director of Peter Berry Consultancy, which is Australia's leading provider of human capital consulting services and Hogan's authorized distributor in Australia. Uh, Peter's an accomplished keynote speaker, facilitator, executive coach, and he specializes in leadership development, coaching, change management, business performance, and team building for leaders within the public and private sector in Australia and globally across various industries. Also, a fun fact about Peter, he actually uh, originally pursued a career in acting prior to founding Peter Berry Consulting. So, Peter, with that, what else should the audience know about you before we dive into the episode? Uh, Thank you, Blake, and thank you, Ryan. It's a great honor to, uh, to, to talk with you and have the opportunity to provide some of the science behind our 360. Uh, Thank you for the fun fact. Um, uh, A secret that I've got is when I was at high school, I was a bad asthmatic, couldn't play sports, so I took up amateur acting in the drama club. Then I went to university and I still joined the drama club. And at one stage I thought, "Hmm, maybe this acting could be fun. And the more I researched it, it was hard work, very little uh, money uh, in return. Um, And eventually... I found my true acting career when I started my consulting company 30 years ago. <laughs> so today I get paid to talk, present, speak at, uh, speak as a keynote speaker, and I do enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. And those acting skills of how to present, uh, how to be succinct, how to engage your audience, I think have all helped me as a consultant. Uh, a little bit of the background uh, for me uh, My wife and business partner is Shane Nealon, and 25 years ago, Shane was Executive General Manager of Cabin Crew at Qantas, uh, our international airline carrier, and she sourced uh, Drs. Robert and Joyce Hogan in Tulsa and said, can you help me with selection of better cabin crew? We're we're not always hiring the best flight attendants. And that's how I got to meet the Hogans. So we would always have a nice meal, uh, lots of laughter. Um, and eventually, uh, Bob and Joyce said, would you like to be our Hogan distributor? That was about 18 years ago, and we became close friends. Our daughters and Shane and I would holiday with the Hogans. We got to know their dogs. And every time I'd sit down and have a serious conversation with uh, Bob, Dr. Hogan, uh, we would quickly turn to the subject of leadership. And we both share this passion around measuring and improving leadership. And of course, Bob had the three Hogan personality assessments. I started designing a 360. The early influences were the American Baldrige Business Excellence Framework, which I still think is the world's best balanced scorecard uh, today. And the reason I like it, there's seven key result areas. It said that scientifically, leadership is number one. It's the key driver of organizational performance, including results. So that got me really interested in the the subject of leadership. Uh, Daniel Goleman's work on EQ was becoming popular and uh, and I I pulled out the key bits there. And then there were big companies like Aon, Hewitt and Gallup that were doing engagement surveys and they were finding that leadership was the key driver of employee engagement. So I made it a passion to understand what is good leadership. 
And uh, Bob helped me to understand the HBI, uh, the bright side, the HDS, the dark side, and we pulled some of the key pieces there and put it in our 360. So the 360, uh, a multi-rater assessment for measuring leadership effectiveness, it was a journey over the last 25 years, and today we're very proud to have the Hogan name on that 360, and it's sold all around the world. Well, and, and I'll just add to that. We're very proud to to be associated with PBC. Um, you know, uh, we have many excellent distributors uh, around the world, and uh, you know, uh, it, I won't do draw comparisons between our distributors because we have so many fantastic ones. But there's no doubt that that Peterberry Consultancy is one of our our favorite distributors, and and, and we love working with you guys. And um, you just do fantastic work. Um, you know, we do. You know, we even do collaborative research with your group and publish with your group from from time to time. And, um, you know, it's just been a really strong relationship over the years. Um, I think one of the earliest distributors is, if I remember correctly as well. Um, so, you know, we're super happy to have you on today, Peter. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Yeah, Peter, I, I echo Ryan's, Ryan's sentiments. Um, you know, I've been a Hogan for almost six years now and, you know, I just really enjoy working with the PBC team. Uh, everybody's just very lovely to work with, and uh, I, en- I enjoy all the interactions. It's especially whenever uh, you and Shane got to come to Tulsa last summer. That was that was a lot of fun, really getting to know you more in person as well. So it just really enhances that relationship between PBC and Hogan, and uh, we all just love that. So, okay, Peter, before we get into the meat of the episode, you talked a little bit about the 360 assessment and the Hogan 360 earlier, but can you just give the audience a bit of an overview of what a 360 really is? Yeah, great question. Thank you. So a 360 in technical terms is a multi-rater assessment by working colleagues who know one well. Typically, it's aimed at anyone in a supervisory or more senior role. Anyone who's a people leader in a position of influence should be accessing a 360. It's called a 360 because there are key, typically three key rater groups. There's your manager. Sometimes we'll have two managers. There's peers, normally half a dozen. And then there's all of your direct reports, which could be three or four or up to eight or nine. Uh, so the 360 captures a perspective on your performance and behavior from above, sideways and below, uh, hence the concept of 360. We also include a self-assessment, which doesn't influence your overall score, but it's there as a benchmark. So we can check for self-awareness. How did I score myself compared to all the other rated groups? The interesting thing is in the report, we do break down the data. So it's immediately apparent to see which group scored you well and and which group might be an opportunity to improve. So for example, if the peers are tough on you, it could be the organization's got silos and they're not one team, one plan. There's not enough collaboration. Alternatively, if your direct reports have been uh, fantastic in their scores, it's a sign that you could be leading a high-performing team with strong employee engagement. Equally, if your reports have scored you down, it's probably a bad manager with some toxic behavior. So the 360 is a snapshot in time. I like to call it your your workplace brand or reputation. Uh, It typically measures your behavior um, and it typically also includes the performance. So we wanna see, are you achieving results and how do you go about those results? But having given that brief description, not all 360s in the world are created equally. Some have a lot of science and some, unfortunately, um, are fabricated. So there's three key things that we have with the Hogan 360 that gives us a lot of rigor. We have a technical manual and we update that technical manual regularly, which proves the reliability and validity. Secondly, we're very strong on the research uh, to show the validity coefficiency between the 360 and the Hogan personality assessments and more about that beautiful research a little bit later on. The third and final benchmark for a great 360 is in fact having global benchmarks um, across industries, sectors, job levels. And we like to have percentiles showing what does a score at the 75th percentile look like, the mid range at 50, the 25th, 
So when you give a person their score, it has relative meaning, uh, strategic self-awareness because we're comparing your result to others. So unless a 360 has those three key elements, uh, you shouldn't be using it. Um, we also love using the Hogan 360 with the Hogan personality assessments. It works a treat. Uh, I always say if you've got both, there's no place to hide. Uh, it gives us the why, which is the Hogan personality assessments and the what, the 360. Uh, Dr. Hogan himself recently said um, the Hogan personality assessments give you the private person. The 360 gives you the public person. And we like to also say the personality tells you the likely behaviour and the 360 picks up the actual behaviour. So the 360, in short, picks up on your workplace performance and reputation at a point in time, which is the key to career success. Yeah, and I think that's what I would just add for some of our audience members who may be new to assessment or the assessment world is that you know a 360 assessment, as, as Peter's described it, um, you know, uh, is really about that reputation component. And so, you know, at Hogan, we talk a lot about reputation and, you know, reputation is, is really the sum of all of the stuff that you've done. And so your workplace reputation is, is how your colleagues know you, which, uh, who, anybody who's at work, uh, knows how critical that is. If you want to be selected for a particular team or a particular project, if you want to get that promotion, um, you know, your reputation is really critical and the 360 really gives you, the, the leader or the manager, an opportunity to understand your reputation, to understand how your behavior is impacting other people. Uh, and so I think that's why uh, the 360 assessment is really critical for, for self-development. Well, that's really great. I mean, honestly, before I got to Hogan, the only thing I knew about a 360 was if I saw someone do it in the NBA slam dunk contest. But um, <laughs> that was that was a the extent of my knowledge on 360. So, um, Peter, PBC's 360 assessment, you know, it has four themes, you know, in, in the, the research I've done and, and learning about this over the years. Uh, can you talk about those four themes and maybe why they're so important? Absolutely. Um, thank you. So when we designed uh, the core competencies yeah, for the 360, we had four foundation stones. There is self-management. So uh, it, it's the intra uh, capability to be self-aware and, and, and to self-manage. Then we had the interpersonal, which we call the relationship management, uh, your people skills, your communication skills, being a team player, being able to get along and get ahead, uh, so to speak. And we called those two a measure of uh, emotional intelligent behaviour. So your EQ behaviour is on display. Uh, so it doesn't measure EQ per se, but it does measure EQ behaviours, whether, whether they've been learnt or come naturally. So we do place a priority on saying the way you behave at work is a critical part of your reputation. Then we said, well, we want to measure performance as well. We all have jobs and we all have key performance indicators. So the third component is called working in the business. Uh, it's your daytime job. It's being operational, uh, quality, mistake-free work, uh, being competitive around what you've got to do, uh, uh, being competent, being qualified, hardworking, experienced. And then the fourth one is working on the business. And working on the business are the hard things that separate a, a, an average leader from a good leader, uh, holding people accountable and challenging poor performance, motivating people to create engagement, uh, being strategic, having long-term goals, uh, and being innovative, driving new ideas, and adding extra value to the business. The business competencies are essentially learned capabilities as you become a manager, a people leader, and start to go up the corporate ladder. So we call sometimes those are your IQ competencies that are learned through a, a combination of general mental ability, experience on the job, deliberate practice. And uh, so the behavioural competencies, together with the business competencies, uh, underpin the model that we've got. When you put the self-management with working in the business, we call those managerial competencies. It's why you get paid and stay on the payroll. And then the relationship management and working on the business is the world of the leader. 
And we're lucky we work with lots of global companies and get to see their competency models. And most people uh, are being pushed towards the relationship and working on so that an organisation can build that strategic capability. We also have uniquely in the 360 our strengths and opportunities tables, which unequivocally uh, is a point of difference for the Hogan 360. And people have to pick four selections, pick four strengths and then four opportunities out of tables that can, that can contain 26 items. And it leaves you uh, without a shadow of doubt uh, uh, clear about how to leverage those strengths and how to address those opportunities. We also include written comments. We ask for verbatims around one's strengths, one's opportunities, and one's strengths that could be overused. The question about strengths being overused, that's clearly a classical Hogan dark side to mention to our 360 in case someone is derailing at work. Um, so uh, that model, this 360, we think is a very strong, robust, and validated model, and fantastic for self-awareness, which is the starting point for career success, team performance, uh, leadership effectiveness. And uh, I mentioned earlier, by combining 360 with personality, it's the most efficient, cost-effective way to gather the performance uh, data that we need to, to drive career and performance success. Well, one of the things that I think is interesting about the model, Peter, and I, and I don't know if you thought about it this way, and I don't know that if I've read about this or if we've talked about this before or not, but um, it seems to me that it's sort of um, linear uh, from, a, some, from a developmental or progression standpoint in the sense that um, you know, the first part is about managing yourself and, and managing your own emotions of, you know, getting your sort of self under control. And you sort of have the sense that if you can't do that, it's really hard to manage relationships with other people, which is the next step is right is managing those relationships at work. And then the next step after that is about, you know, getting things done inside the job, getting things done inside the business. And again, it, it strikes me that if I can't get a right, if I can't get along with myself, I can't do that. If I can't get along with other people, I can't do that, which are the first two components, right? Getting along with myself, getting along with others. Okay, now I can do that. Now I can get some stuff done in the business. And then the last part is is thinking big picture, thinking strategically about where the business is headed. And it strikes me again that you really can't do that unless you understand what's going on inside the business. So to me, the model is sort of cumulative in the sense that you, it's like a, a math textbook, right? You can't you can't do long division unless you understand addition or something like that, right? I don't know if you if you if you uh, ever talk about the model this way, but you know, and just thinking about it recently, that 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 idea occurred to me. Yeah, I think that's a great insight, Ryan. Very very accurate. The starting point for any people leader or supervisor uh, has got to be to present with self management and to be competent working in the business. Otherwise, you really shouldn't be on the payroll. Then your journey in life is to influence others. And that's that Dr. Hogan quote about getting along, getting ahead, and finding meaning, but also to become more of a leader and less of a manager. And uh, John Cotter, who's the famous Harvard uh, business professor, he, he's very strong on the difference between management and leadership. He says, you know, management is getting the trains running on time but leadership is envisioning the future of transport and doing things smarter and better and embracing new technology. And I think that's absolutely consistent with this model here. Uh, it's a global model, a generic model, but most of our clients say we're totally comfortable with that model. Um, in fact, 80% of competency models in the world are, are pretty similar when you break them down. But I do like, Ryan, that, that linear progression is exactly what we try to do. We tend to say... Uh, you know, the future belongs to those who can achieve through relationships, i.e. leadership is about results, teams deliver results, therefore judge the leader by their team. And of course, competitive advantage comes from working on the business, being more innovative, more strategic and driving engagement and accountability. You know, you know that comment about managers and leadership reminds me. I know it's a quote somewhere, and I don't, I can't remember if I could place it. It might be, it might actually be from the world of chess, if anything. But it's, uh, it sort of reminds me of what you're saying about working in the business or being a manager, which is sort of um, tactical. And the quote goes something like this: that tactics is knowing about what to do when there's something to be done, and strategy is about knowing what to do when there's nothing to be done. 
right? And so that's one way to think about it. It's like they're okay, well, there's something to do right now, something critical, right? That that's when you you, you need to have those management skills. Um, but when there's nothing critical right in front of you, but you've got to be thinking long term, you know, that's that's what strategy is about. Yeah, I like that, Ryan. I mean, um, being operational is just aiming for operational excellence in today's business environment. But being strategic is creating your future competitive advantage. It's being agile. It's being disruptive. Uh, it's blue sky thinking uh, to ensure that you've got competitive advantage for the future. You know, Peter, something that struck me earlier, you were talking about, you know, the importance of combining these 360 assessments with traditional personality assessments like the ones we originally developed at Hogan. Could you dive in a little bit more there? I'd, I'd be curious to hear a little bit more about how that works. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, and I'm very passionate about this subject too. So um, I always say, and it's one of my favorite quotes, there's no place to hide when you've got both sets of data. You've got the, the private person and then the public person when you combine personality with 360. And you know what? It is the most powerful and value for money way to capture the whole person. Uh, you've got a complete set of data then. Uh, the only thing you might want to add is a cognitive test or, or if they're leading a team, uh, what's the level of engagement with that team? Um, but if you've got someone's Hogan personality assessments, the MVPI, the HPI, the HDS, fantastic, a fantastic foundation point for getting the uh, self-awareness and understanding the likely behaviour. But of course, there's learned behaviour which can be picking up good habits or bad habits, and the 360 will capture that at a point in time. Um, and so put the two together, and uh, it, it fits with the philosophy that leadership is observable, leadership is measurable, and leadership is improvable. Leadership can be learned. It just takes a, a starting point of having data, a baseline, a line in the sand. Um, so, for example... Um, our, one of our biggest clients is Shell, who are a top 10 multinational, and uh, they swear by the Hogan personality assessments, uh, the Hogan 360, and they then throw in people and business analytics to make that connection between uh, customer satisfaction, employee engagement, and your KPIs, which include safety, uh, profitability. Um, so the th 360 and personality data is an important part of the analytics. Um, uh, it's also uh, becoming more of an holistic HR approach these days. I think uh, 10, 15 years ago, people were using personality assessments and 360s just for feedback. Uh, it didn't necessarily didn't get shared by the boss or get seen by HR. Uh, but today, all of the research shows that these tools are now used for talent identification, uh, succession planning. It's used in performance reviews. Uh, it's used even in salary uh, and remuneration uh, discussions. So it's, it's become very much a mainstream practice uh, to, to use both the personality and the 360. And uh, I always think with both of those pieces of data, you, you can certainly create the baseline of self-awareness which is the starting point for career success, uh, team performance, and ultimately uh, the leadership effectiveness of the individual. All right. So, Peter, my next question, I guess, is, um, you know, we've talked a little bit about the 360s in general and, and then combining the, the traditional assessments with the 360 assessment and the effectiveness of that. And you've talked about data a lot. So I know that, um, you know, Recently, you've conducted some research with, uh, with Hogan on the overlap between personality assessments and 360 reports. So I think what I'm curious about now is what kind of trends did you find in, in doing that research? Uh, a terrific question and a big call out to Ryan Sherman. He and the research team did an awesome job in uh, looking at the research. We had uh, approximately 2,500 matched sets of data. So the 2,500 match sets of data had the three Hogan personality assessments and the Hogan 360. And I think it's probably the biggest research ever done, uh, looking at the validity coefficient and, and the results that, that came out of it. So a big thank you, Ryan, to you and the team. 
we just loved collaborating with you on this research. So what did the research find? Uh, if, I, uh, if I start with the obvious, it was the HPI that really gave us our biggest bang for buck. Uh, so the good news is the HPI certainly does its job. It lives up to its reputation of predicting performance. And I sent a very cheeky email to Dr. Robert Hogan a few months ago saying, we've just validated the last 40 years of your life's experience and research. And he sent back a reply that said, thank you. So uh, lots, of <laughs> lots of humility, a man of few words sometimes. So um, HPI, we really picked up that there were four out of the seven scales that correlated with having a good 360 result. Uh, number one was adjustment. Uh, so adjustment picked up uh, a strong correlation with self-management and relationship management, i.e. it does its job in predicting emotional control, resilience, stability, handling pressure, not getting stressed, uh, not throwing the toys out of the cot. The second one was ambition, which I've always said is the, the, the most important HPI scale for tapping into leadership potential and effectiveness. And the ambition predicted the uh, success in working in the business and even more so working on the business. So we picked up that the ambition is not just competitive around your key performance indicators, but longer term thinking, strategic thinking, uh, pushing hard for results, not just in the short term, but uh, the longer term too. Uh, interpersonal sensitivity probably blew me out of the water a little bit. I didn't expect to see so many positives associated here. So as you'd expect, interpersonal sensitivity correlated with self-management and, uh, and particularly relationship management. So these people are blessed with the soft skills uh, to get along and get ahead and, and have stable and enduring relationships. But also, I guess the surprise for me, interpersonal sensitivity also correlated with working in the business and working on the business. And uh, it was the strongest predictor of getting an overall very good 360. So the surprise package really was that the interpersonal sensitivity had a little bit of strategic horsepower in it, uh, driving accountability, thinking big picture. And then the fourth one that did very well, as you'd expect, would be prudence, HPI prudence. And it did very well for self-management, uh, the conscientiousness, the integrity. Uh, it did well for relationship management. People just like prudent people. They're popular to work with because they're conscientious, focused, not risk-taking or naughty. And uh, then we also had working in the business. They go about their job in a, in a conventional uh, and safe pair of hands style. Uh, the only thing that prudence didn't relate to was working on the business, the big picture, because prudent people, I think, are more comfortable in the business than on the business. So amazing correlations there. Um, and I'll talk about the HDS and MVPI in a moment. But Ryan, I know you're across all this. Did you want to say anything about the HPI? Well, I think one of the really neat things that we were able to do with this data set, Peter, I mean, there's a whole tons of things and we could do an entire uh, talk, entire episode just about this research findings, um, as you know, of course. Um, but uh, one of the things that, that, I, that struck me as really cool was that we were able to separate out the ratings by different level, right? So we've got people who work for you, who told us about you. We've got peers who, who are at your level who told us about you. And then we've got your supervisors. And what we see is really interesting distinctions about what those people say about you based on your personality and what level they're at. So just to give a couple of examples, people who score high on adjustment, that is they're emotionally controlled. Um, they're, they're, the people who work for them say they're great at emotional control. So do their peers, so do their supervisors. Um, but both the, the subordinates say that one of the problems and one of the things about people who are high adjustment is that they sort of have rose colored glasses on sometimes. And the subordinates said, you know, that they don't do a good job of recognizing poor performance. And their peers said, not only that, they also don't do a good job of holding people accountable for their work. 
Um, but of course, their supervisors loved everything about them, right? So, so if you're a really resilient, um, deal with stress, don't complain a lot, your supervisors loves you, but your peers and your subordinates see you as someone who just sort of, um, you know, uh, lets people get away with stuff that they shouldn't, that they feel like you don't come down hard on them enough. And, and we see a lot of really interesting things. I'll just speak, you know, one more um, about ambition. This is another one we see is really interesting. Um, if you if you work for a highly ambitious uh, boss, they say great things about you. They say you're competitive, that you deliver results, you're good at being professional and building relationships. Um, but the the peers recognize that you're competitive, but then they say all kinds of bad things about you. They say that you're not ethical, that you don't build trust, that you don't treat people with respect. But then again, we see it flip again when we get to supervisors. The supervisors say you're good at holding people accountable and that you you challenge poor performance. So what we see with the ambitious people is you also see some organizational dynamics where the subordinates love you because you're a champion for getting work done, getting results done, making their team look good. Um, peers don't necessarily like you so much because they see you as the competition and supervisors see you as very, uh, you know, high performing and very productive. So they like you. So there's, there's a lot going on here that we can dig into with 360 ratings in terms of organizational dynamics and personality. Absolutely right. That's a, a, a great insight. And uh, just to back you up on that one, peers just want you to be conscientious. Don't make any noise. Don't be yes. super competitive. Don't be strategic. Just shut up and do your job. Be invisible. Uh, That's exactly but, right. But the direct reports want to see all of the soft skills, uh, you know, the adjustment and the interpersonal sensitivity. Plus, they want you to be ambitious and set the goals. They want you to be strategic so that a team's got a sense of purpose and direction. And, of course, the boss wants everything. <laughs> they want yeah. results and they want the results the right way. <laughs> Ryan, I'm going to comment on the HDS because there were some really good insights here. Well, well Peter, I have, I have one question actually before you do. Um, you know, you were you were making me feel really good there because you were saying, uh, you know, you, I was checking all the boxes, you know, as far as my results are concerned. And then you got down to prudence. Um, and then I realized I'm not checking that box on my scores. But what I am curious about is on our prudence scale, you know, to the people in the audience, there, there are three subscales underneath that called moralistic, mastery, and virtuous. And if you max out on those subscales, you know, it's what we, it, it suggests that you might be what we call an impression manager. So I, I'm curious, Peter, are, are, you, are you saying that people, did you see any impression managers and that correlating to success as well? Yeah, um, uh, very good question. I think uh, the ones that love the impression management the most are the peers. Uh, they just want to see you following rules, working exceptionally hard. Uh, being very conscientious. Uh, so just be that outstanding moral citizen that does things by the book and your peers love you. Uh, it's not so popular, uh, perhaps, with the boss who wants to see you being a bit more innovative, thinking outside the box, pushing for results. Uh, but it does create a goody-goody image with your peers for sure. Well, okay. So, uh, Peter, let's dive into the HDS. What, what did you find there? Oh, the HDS. I, I wish we could uh, show you the colour scheme. Uh, red's the negative correlation and it's the poor old moving away, the loner profile that copped it. So um, I think my approach to the HDS is uh, probably to say you'd likely hire off the HPI uh, or promote and you'd use the HDS to be, be aware of the derailers. How could someone go wrong if they're being selected or promoted? So the um, most negative correlation in the 11 dark side uh, scales was excitable. And uh, people are picking up that at work, an excitable person can be stressed, angry, temperamental, moody, volatile. Uh, as I say, you know, spitting the dummy, uh, having a temper tantrum and uh, that had a negative correlation. It's just you can't get along with people if you behave like that. Uh, the second uh, most significant negative correlation was with reserved. Uh, and a reserved person is someone who puts work ahead of people. Uh, they're businesslike, they're tough, they're, they're focused, but they can be uncommunicative, distant, aloof, uncommunicative. And in this day and age of engagement, uh, reserved people do struggle to, to learn those soft engagement skills. And the third one was sceptical. 
uh, it had a negative correlation with a good 360. And uh, the sceptical people, look, I love the fact that they're shrewd, perceptive, fault-finding, critical, eyes wide open, eyes in the back of the head. I would trust their intuition. But the dark side is they can be exceptionally critical, harsh, defensive, sensitive to criticism, just not open to having some of the, the, the difficult conversations, just a little bit hurtful sometimes in the relationships. The other one that was interesting was uh, cautious, and we picked up in the cautious scale that that person needs to be more assertive, needs to show leadership on issues, and it sort of fits with my theory that you know cautious of the 11 HDS scales is the one that can be a barrier to becoming an effective leader. So, um, and leisurely, just to round it out, uh, was a little bit negative in the 360 correlation. Uh, so the moving away syndrome, uh, the loner profile, which is the first uh, having elevated uh, scales on the first uh, four or five of the first five, uh, that did predict those people have to work super hard uh, at their emotional intelligence and their relationships to, uh, to be resilient at work, uh, to demonstrate EQ at work. The other one that was interesting was colourful. Uh, colourful scored well for relationship skills, relationship management, and working on the business. And uh, in other research, I think we've seen a correlation between colourful and ambition, uh, predicting some of that more strategic leadership. Um, but yeah, great insights there. Ryan, anything from you on the HDS? Yeah, I, I mean, I would just add that the, that there's an interesting pattern on what we sometimes refer to as the moving against scale. So that's being bold and overconfident. That's being uh, mischievous, which is sort of, um, you know, about being a little bit charming and manipulative. Um, colorful is about being attention grabbing and, and imaginative, which is about being creative and sort of having wild ideas. Um, that all of those things are positively associated with the sort of strategic end of management or the strategic end of leadership. But they're almost all negatively associated with that self-management that we talked about earlier, which I think is really interesting. So what we see here, and this is one of the things we talk about a lot, is the difference between leadership emergence and leadership effectiveness. And you can see how these particular characteristics might get you into leadership positions because from a 360 perspective, from a peer perspective, you look really strategic. You look like you've got great ideas. Um, people might see you as a high potential future leader. But what we see is down underneath, these people might not really have themselves under control, that, that they have a lot of self-control issues, that they um, might be a little bit entitled, that they might um, be a little bit manipulative and uh, sort of um, you know, playing politics for the sake of playing politics, not because they actually care about the business. And so this, that, that those sort of self-management issues often arise. And I think when we, when we look at organizations that have major disasters, major breakdowns, where they have these really charismatic and charming, and sometimes this moving against cluster has been referred to as the charismatic cluster, um, that, that, that might be the underlying cause here. We've got these really charismatic, charming people who are very effective at getting in charge, but they have underlying intrapersonal problems that that ultimately lead to to, to their downfall and and to the to the regret of everybody in the company. And that's why it's so important, Ryan, to have the three hundred and sixty sitting there in case the mischievous, colourful, imaginative people are derailing. Absolutely. So they, otherwise, it's going to block their potential around the big picture, which they've obviously got. You guys, this really just, I, I think this highlights the importance of just continuing to collect these samples and to collect the data and really look at it. Um, and I think that's really, you know, whenever, you know, Hogan works with a partner like PBC, that's really what sets, you know, our 360, I think, apart from, from the competition. But, you know, Peter, we kind of consider you the king of 360s uh, at Hogan. Um, so you've been doing these for years. So what are some of the interesting things that 360 assessments have allowed you to uncover? Or, you know, maybe if you have any, uh, any stories that you could, you know, tell, you know, anonymously <laughs> to, the, to the audience uh, that you've seen in your, in your time doing 360s. Uh, thank you very much, Blake. And I thought about this. I, uh, I thought I'd start by giving you some strategic responses uh, things we've learned and, and maybe things to think about for the future. Uh, um, so first of all, um, 
a lot of companies these days are looking for return on investment when they invest in personality assessments and 360, which is fair because if you're going to do the coaching, the assessments, you 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 want to get the results. So people, are, the better companies these days are saying, let's repeat the 360 12 months on to track the progress. Let's see if the manager is achieving their KPIs, their key performance indicators. Let's see if that manager is leading a high-performing team. Let's look at the employee engagement data and let's see whether that person had a promotion with their career in the next year or two. So years ago, return on investment was never mentioned and we didn't get the real value for money out of the, out of the assessments which we're getting today. Uh, the other big thing that's been happening in recent times is a lot of organisations are developing customised 360s. Uh, and unfortunately, some of them are not science-based. They're a house of cards. Uh, you've got some HR or OD people that invent their own fancy model. Um, there's no science behind it. It's not mapped. There's no global benchmarks. There's no proven reliability and validity. Yet the customised market continues to grow. So what we try to do as an interesting thing with our clients is say, please, by all means, go down the path of customised, but we can be your partner to bring the science and rigour and benchmarks and percentiles there for you. Um, We're also developing some really cool research based on the MAT sets that we just spoke about and our updated 2020 manual, which is the latest data on uh, uh, industries and sectors and percentiles, And what the research here is showing, that CEOs at the 75th percentile, which would be a gold standard, uh, do three things better than the rest of the management cohort. They have a stronger achievement focus. It's all about the purpose of the organisation and getting results. They're much more strategic, thinking longer term, driving innovation and big picture. And they're very inspiring. They know how to motivate people and create engagement. And the other finding we had is that at all levels of leadership, whether you're a frontline supervisor or a CEO, uh, all of these people at the 75th percentile, which is the gold standard in our percentile benchmarks, they also have emotional intelligence. So uh, that research, I think, is very useful to help inform competency models, uh, bring some of the the science uh, to it. So back to your question, Blake, some of the better and worst experiences without names. I would say I have had some significant success with people who have the loner profile or moving away in the HDS. They have, uh, through deliberate practice, a lot of intrinsic motivation, uh, building new mental muscles. They have become brilliant leaders. So I always say personality is not fate. Don't treat it as a straitjacket. You can become the person you want but it's the 10,000-hour rule. You've got to practice, practice, practice before you've mastered the piano or a, you know, a, an elite tennis person. Equally, on the other hand, I've had people who were derailing. Uh, it was really probably some of that mischievous, imaginative, colourful, bold uh, that Ryan talked about. And those people can be toxic at work. And uh, sometimes I get given a coaching assignment, can you turn this person around? And I say, right, give me six months, we'll have a crack. And the first thing I ask these people is, are you motivated to change? Do you really want to get rid of that volatile temper or those rude people skills that's holding back uh, your 360 score, your reputation at work? And uh, sometimes I've had success. Someone will say, yep, I'm motivated to do this. You know, my family will be very upset if I lose my career. At other times, there's denial. Uh, I've got the victim mentality. My boss did this to me. The organisation has done it to me and they end up leaving the organisation. It doesn't end up uh, pretty. So the model I use is self-awareness, discovery of motivation, the hard yards through deliberate practice, uh, building of new mental muscles and your confidence and confidence goes up and you've recovered your career. So, uh, but look, um, I always say that in any organisation, 80% of your problems are going to be people issues. And it comes down to the self-awareness and the use of assessments to, to have some data on the table.
Well, I think the old joke uh, is uh, be running a business would be easy if it weren't for the people, something like that. That's so. it. That's a great one. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, to, to your point there, uh, you know, Peter, I, I think that um, w- when we're talking about changing leaders or, or, or you know, that, that kind of coaching, one of the things that, that seems to come up a lot uh, at least with us, is this this notion of coachability, um, which I think you were sort of alluding to or hinting at there, um, which is the idea that some people are just sort of more receptive to coaching th- th- than other people. And, um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about coachability lately, and, and partly because uh, I did a little coaching over the summer with my kids' baseball team. But, um, you know, I think it's really a critical thing, not just in business leaders, but really in life. Um, you know, I think we can look at athletes and talk about, you know, which athletes have been coachable and aren't coachable. And it seems like, you know, coachability is really the key to unlocking your potential. You know, if you can take that feedback, because 360 feedback, I'm sure at times doesn't feel very comfortable. I'm sure some people get feedback that they might not want to hear. And, you know, I, I think to really improve, you have to be people, you have to have people who can embrace that feedback you know, take that feedback and, and, and use it to propel themselves forward because there's really uh, two other alternative strategies to getting feedback, right? If you get negative feedback, you can uh, reject it, right? You can just deny it and, and pretend like it doesn't exist and move on and say, these people are stupid. They don't know what they're talking about. Or you can really internalize it in a way that is, you know, depressing, Right. So you can imagine people getting 360 feedback and just feeling like failures and, and, you know, and wanting to give up. And I feel like the real, you know, most effective folks are the ones that fall somewhere in between there, that they do take it personally, but they see it as an opportunity to improve. And I, I don't know if you see that in your clients or, or if you can speak about that at all. Mm. No, that's a great observation, Ryan. So we tried to take uh, a big picture or holistic approach with our clients we might start with the CEO and, and the head of people and culture or human resources, and we'll try to line up all of the analytics. So three ways to measure a leader. There's the personality assessments, the 360 and a team assessment. Then you're looking at a correlation with customer experience, customer satisfaction, and also the employee engagement. And then you're looking at your business outcomes, your bottom line results. Uh, uh, and if organizations get the connection, between the importance of measuring and improving leadership because it drives the employee and customer experience, which in turn drive uh, your bottom line organisational results, they'll take it as a science. They'll see that it gives a return on investment. So the CEO will sponsor the program, the executive will lead by example and go through all the assessments and role model them. Um, And then it's just having a business case for why we're doing this. Then you get down to the individual level, and I I think you can almost uh, predict from the Hogan personality assessments who's more coachable and who's not so coachable. I think sometimes we have problems with high leisurely. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, High mischievous could be a bit of a challenge sometimes. for sure. Uh, uh, High bold, there could be a little bit of arrogance sitting in there. Um, So I think what we try to do is make the business case to these people about the importance of improving off their 360 data. So first of all, you're a leader of a team. What's the impact of your leadership on that team? Uh, Let's measure uh, the team engagement. Um, And one of the measures could simply be looking at the employee ratings in the 360. Were they positive or not so positive? And we try to get that philosophy that the team is more important than you. The team is your brand, should you choose to see it that way. So we say on the way up the ladder, it's about your own performance. Once you're in charge of a team, the team ought to be your brand because that's the unit that drives importance. We then try to connect it to the broader employee engagement. Do you want to be top quartile? Do you want to be best in class? Do you want to make this uh, an employer of choice, a great place to work? Uh, And if they embrace that as part of their key performance indicator thinking, you start to change the mindset from me to the workforce. And then ultimately, do you want to be known as a high performer? So let's look at the bottom line results, uh, the financials, the safety, uh, the customer satisfaction, the service operational excellence. 
So I think we've moved from 15 years ago, hey, sit down, we've got a 360 or, or some personality, let's have a chat, to now a more strategic uh, business case for integrating this and, and doing it well. Uh, one of the things that I do like is the coaching movement is growing globally. Uh, there's some fantastic research that comes out from a company called Coaching Source uh, every couple of years. And uh, not only does it say that the Hogan personality assessments are miles ahead of any competitor in the selection of uh, personality assessments, but that in coaching, 92% of experiences include a 360 uh, multi-rate assessment. So I think there's now a lot more science sitting behind the coaching movement, whereas 10 years ago it might have been more feel good. We're having a chat, a cup of tea, but not really getting the return on investment, which we need today. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the uh, <laughs> one of the interesting things you mentioned there, Peter, is sort of you know aligning the those people to to what this means for your business, right? So, look, this isn't about you personally. This is about you know you want to get better for the business, right? It's it's about you know aligning the feedback to their goal and saying like this is the way for you to get better. This is the way for you to win. Um, you know that that kind of strikes me as you know I mentioned earlier coaching little children's baseball this this summer. Uh, it's the, I feel like that was kind of the same thing. It's sort of like, you know, sometimes you would give a kid feedback and, it, you know, they could take it really personally. Like, oh, you're saying I'm no good. And, you know, I think it's really critical that you would say, no, no, it's not that you're no good. It's that if you want to get better, this is what you have to do. You want to be better, right? You know, pick, put their goal in mind. These, a lot of these kids said, you know, I want to be professional or whatever. I mean, they're, they're eight, so we're not too worried about that. But, you know, if you want to reach that level, if you want to get to that level in the business, um, you know, this is the, the the things, the steps you need to take. And I and maybe you're, I think you're right that if you put it in that context, you make that business case for it, uh, that really Im- increases the chances of, of that feedback having an impact. Hmm, absolutely. So uh, a couple of insights from me would be, uh, for example, Shell, and this is public knowledge that they, they share with uh, the community, they set a goal of achieving a 360 result at the 75th percentile. Now, obviously, most people will land at the 50th percentile. That's what percentiles do. <laughs> uh, so Shell take it very seriously. They don't want their managers to be good. They want their managers to be great. And the trick here is it becomes a KPI, a key performance indicator. So you are given that target. And then uh, the 360 is repeated. You've got coaching resources. Uh, you can put your hand up for... Uh, uh, internal support, training programs, uh, the 70-20-10 model of learning, 70% on the job, 20% observation, 10% studies. Uh, So I think that's best practices. That's where we're going. We're setting targets. We we want measurable improvements. The other way that's very powerful to get more leverage out of the 360s is to take an intact management team. They all go through the 360s together and they share. And the sharing has got to be done in a psychologically safe way. There's got to be trust. There's got to be an absence of politics. So people can say, right, well, here's my strengths and opportunities. And we start to get the peer group in that team to coach each other, to support each other. So the moment the data is open, uh, yeah, we need to be a bit vulnerable. uh, But you've got buy-in then. There's no secrets. We're all in this together. The way you pitch this, we want our team to be great. We want our team to be outperforming other teams. Um, Another example I had recently is there was a manager that was kicking ass, so to speak, with achieving their business results, but poor interpersonal behaviour. And in this instance, the company said, well, your next bonus is tied to the improvement in the 360 around your interpersonal skills. And uh, that did the trick. We moved the goalpost. (laughs) There was skin in the game, so to speak. So to change behaviour, sometimes it's carrot and stick. (laughs) <laughs> makes sense. And Peter, you know, this has been a really, really great conversation. Um, and we we really appreciate you coming on with us to, t- to talk about 360 assessments. But before we let you go, I remember last summer you were in Tulsa, you and Shane, and uh, we all had a great time together because we were doing some video shoots uh, with, with you and Shane. And during one of those, you told this awesome story about Dr. Hogan and selling pencils that I found very entertaining. It was kind of the way you framed it to us, I think. You said, well, 
Bob Hogan told me to sell pencils or I'm going to teach you how to sell pencils. So can you share that story with the audience and what he meant? Yeah, it's one of my favorite stories. I guess I've got a lot of stories about Dr. Hogan because because we have so much love and respect and affection uh, for him. It was about uh, 18 years ago and uh, Bob and Joyce Hogan were in Sydney visiting. They stay at the beautiful Hyatt Hotel, which looks right at the Opera House, so right on the harbour. And they said, Peter and Shane, come in, we want to buy you lunch. And at that lunch, Bob said to me, Peter, we think you're a smart business consultant and we'd like you to be the Australian distributor for Hogan Assessments. And I said, Bob, I'm not a psychologist. And he said, oh, you can come to Tulsa. We've got some really smart people to support you, but you've already got your management consulting business. You've got a number of diagnostic tools we'd like you to add the Hogan assessments. And I said, wow, that's a huge honour, uh, Bob. Thank you. Uh, I, I better book my ticket to Tulsa and come and get trained and, and, uh, and come back to Australia and start selling. And he said, yes, we want you to start selling pencils. Well, I think my face froze over. My eyes indicated that I didn't understand what he was talking about. And I said, what do you mean selling pencils? I thought we're in the personality business. <laughs> and he said, selling pencils is my euphemism for selling product. And he said, if you really crank your business up and start selling these Hogan personality assessments, you're selling 24-7. And I said, that's a great concept, Bob. I hadn't thought of that, you know, being able to change the world and drive revenue at the same time, 24-7. And he said, because as I understand your business model, you work pretty hard five days a week doing billable hours. Uh, you know, a better business model will be to, to, to build the pencils. So the next day we called up for lunch again. And I said, Bob, I said, I don't know whether you know this, but I've got um, the makings of a 360. I said, I've, I'm, I've picked your brains. I've looked at the ball bridge. I've looked at EQ. I've looked at engagement philosophies. And I, I said, I, I've got a 360. And he says, well, you keep working on that 360 and one day we might be able to put the Hogan name on it and we'll start selling even more pencils. So, so <laughs> it was that comment from Bob that really got me motivated. So we, we, uh, we launched our 360 in Australia. We kept doing research. Uh, we got some of my smart psychologists who had a PhD and a master's to, to start doing technical manuals. And then uh, 10 years ago, uh, we were really thrilled when... Um, uh, the Hogan's put their name on it. And now we're selling pencils globally. Uh, I don't know whether you know it, but the Hogan 360 is in 16 languages uh, just over the last 10 years. It's being used in so many countries around the world. We've even got a multinational that's using the 360 as part of a program with the Harvard Business School, which we think is just fantastic. So uh, uh, when we launched the 360 with the Hogan name on it uh, about 10 years ago, Bob was kind enough to send me an email and said, let's really crank up these sales. We're now getting serious about selling pencils. So I guess it changed my, uh, my whole perspective uh, from building a business based on consulting to building a business based on assessments. And uh, for that, I owe Dr. Hogan a big thank you. Well, and yeah, I, over the years, it sounds like, uh, well, I, I can tell you, just from looking at the numbers, we've sold a lot of pencils. So that sounds like it worked out really well. Um, Peter, I just want to say thanks again so much for coming on today. You know, it's always great speaking with you. And, you know, I think the audience is going to really appreciate learning a little bit more about 360 assessment, what they might use it for. Um, and how it can it can help their organizations grow in the future. So really, uh, thanks a lot for coming on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, and thank you, Ryan and Blake. It's uh, we love being part of the the global Hogan family. It means so much to us. So thank you for this opportunity. Yeah, Peter. Like we like to say at Hogan, it's uh, it's it's one Hogan, and that includes our distributor network. You know, across what fifty seven countries. Uh, and we're really proud of the work that we've done with you all. And I certainly hope you keep selling pencils because that keeps me employed, Peter. So sell those pencils. <laughs> now you've got me even more motivated. Oh, I'm glad. I, I know I know your triggers now. So <laughs> I'll shoot you an email from time to time to keep you motivated. So, uh, well, Peter, yeah, again, thank you so much for joining us today. It was, it was great to catch up with you during these crazy times. Um, I hope 
uh, and wish the uh, PBC team well uh, moving forward as, as we kind of get through this pandemic. So, and to our listeners, uh, thank you for joining us for this episode with Peter Barry and join us in two weeks for episode eight of the Science of Personality podcast, where we will welcome University of Nebraska Omaha professor, Dr. Kelsey Medeiros to the show to talk about women leading through the pandemic. Trust me, you won't want to miss that one. Cheers, everybody. This has been the Science of Personality podcast brought to you by Hogan Assessments. You can access all podcast episodes on our website, scienceofpersonality.com, or on the streaming service of your choice. See you next time.